This is the Punk and Piledrivers Podcast with your host, Big Bad Boris. Yes, we are back for another episode of the Punk and Piledrivers Podcast. My name is Big Bad Boris, and I'm joined this week by someone whose name you may not know, but if you've watched wrestling in Alberta over the past number of years, I'm quite positive you've seen some of his work. His name is Gavin Fitzpatrick. Gavin, how the hell are you? I'm doing great, Boris. Thanks for having me out today. Uh, I'm very excited. You uh, do a lot of behind-the-scenes work uh, for Love Pro Wrestling, and you work for some other companies. You do uh, video and things like that. Give me kind of an overview of, like, what, what would you say your title is and kind of what, what do you do? Uh, well, with Love Pro Wrestling, I am the production manager. So everything that you fancy. guys... It, it Anything with the word is... manager, it sounds important. Well, I definitely have a lot of stuff to uh, cross off on my checklist every show for uh, us to have a smooth running operation. Like, I want to call myself the, the, the commentary manager. You definitely would be an audio manager. Do you think that like Warren and Thaddeus would get mad if I like dubbed myself commentary manager? I think you should do that on commentary <laughs> at our next LPW show on August 26th. Well, it's kind of like how Ben Oman says he, he's Judge Ben Oman. I could be commentary manager, Big Bad Boris. There you go. Because you do manage that desk after all. You well, keep I, those guys in line. And I, I do the you best do a I can. great job. So <laughs> I cannot thank you enough because uh, I can only handle so many of my monkeys in my circus. So. Well, I appreciate that. So you've been involved in, in like video production and, and, and this kind of thing for many years. You do a lot of work with bands and stuff like that. How did you get involved in wrestling? Well, long story. It's funny because I did get involved with wrestling through video work. Uh, back in the day, Monster Pro Wrestling. That was where I started. I okay. got, cut my teeth at MPW and... Uh, you know, Ripper, Trevor Grimolson was a friend of mine, uh, and he knew that I was keen on doing camera work and uh, knew how stuff worked, and he needed a body, and I came and filled in one night, and then they never got rid of me. Uh, unfortunately, we lost Ripper, and then that kind of put MPW on a hiatus for a bit. And I was one of the people pushing massive to do the rip tribution show. So mm -hmm. uh, I had definitely been one of the founding fathers of rip tribution and uh, it's kind of my legacy to Alberta wrestling. And then I became the promoter at MPW after that uh, did the ring announcing and was the promoter and uh, was there for a few years, which oh, I wasn't aware of that. Okay. Yeah, so I think that might have been before you were at PWA. Well, that's a long time ago then. <laughs> so this is a long time ago. And like uh, First Nation Sensation, Wavel Star kindly reminded me of how long I've been in the business when I was out at uh, Sixica for the show down at the Arbor with Dungeon Wrestling. And he said, you must be in, you, you must have been in the business at least 16, 17 years now. And then I had to do the math and I was like, you Wavel, you're right. I have been in the business about 16, 17 years. Yeah, so, so. we kind of must have broke in right around the same time. And it's funny because my second ever gig uh, in wrestling was actually with MPW. I was a ring announcer for two shows uh, way back in the day. So I wonder if our mm -hmm. paths crossed back then. I don't know. Yeah, maybe with just, uh, I was probably still working hard cam at the time. And uh, then we had uh, Mark Posey was still doing some ring announcing and then he transitioned into a wrestler 
uh, pretty quick there when I started filming a lot. And then we had, uh, who else did we have ring announced for a while there? Uh, but yeah, then when there, no one was around, when we came time to do Retribution, I was the guy and then I stuck with it for a few years. And then uh, we had the festival gigs, Sonic Boom and all of the uh, X-Fest was the mm -hmm. other one that we uh, had got some wrestling in at. So I kind of brought wrestling back to the masses there through uh, those great forums and venues, which were absolutely a blast to do. It's not every day that you have the guys from Lincoln Park begging for a ride from the stage to come watch your wrestling show. <laughs> so definitely one of uh, my highlights in my career for sure. Yeah, we did a couple of those at PWA in the uh, in the years past. We did a, we did an Ook Fest at Nate Outdoors, and then we did a a Campus Chaos as well. And those are always kind of fun to mix. Yeah. Just like this podcast, it's kind of fun to mix the uh, the music with the wrestling. And and we we did our our. Uh, I remember at uh, Campus Chaos, we did uh, a bunch of our matches, and then a bunch of us actually sat in the ring, which is next to the stage. We watched Biff Nate yeah. perform from inside our ring, which is something that I kind of sticks in my memory for some reason. Those things are always a lot of fun. You guys had a benefit at Campus Chaos that we didn't have at Sonic Boom or X-Fest in Calgary. That was an indoor show, so you guys didn't have yeah. to deal with the weather all day. Campus K or Ook Fest was outdoors, but we were fortunate. Ook Fest was a great outdoor yeah. fest. But Campus Chaos was, I believe it was in Northlands. I may be wrong on that, but. Or yeah, maybe... that was in Northlands. It was yeah. in the Agricom uh, Hall C. I yeah. Think. Yeah, I remember that show. I was working production on that show, actually, okay. for uh, Trickstar Productions when they put that one on. Is Trickstar still around? Because I know they were a pretty big concert promoter in years past. I always saw their name yeah, attached yeah, to some shows that I would go to. They've kind of shifted to uh, more corporate stuff. Hmm. Uh, but they're doing the Great Canadian Outdoor Comedy Festival uh, on the Northlands grounds here in a couple of weeks. When they got a headliner like Tom Segura. Like Pete Davidson was supposed to be here for it. Oh, I heard about uh, that. But, Was he not coming now? Yeah. Yeah, he's not coming, but they replaced him with Tom Segura, in my opinion, one of the best comedians that's out there. Definitely has one of the funniest podcasts out there. Wasn't uh, Amy Schumer attached to that too, or am I incorrect? Amy is on one of the other days. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you are not uh, incorrect at all. You are definitely right on that one. So how do you go from, so obviously you're, you're not still with MPW. How did you kind of exit MPW and where did you go from there? Well, my exit wasn't as gracious as I would have liked it. I uh, many exits forced, are not. <laughs> forcefully uh, voluntold to leave uh, because somebody thought that we should have been making, you know, five figures in their bank account for the festival show while I did all the legwork and barely made a couple hundred bucks myself you know i paid my wrestlers very well mm -hmm. uh one thing i always prided myself and still do pride myself on is i pay my workers day of right then and there if i tell them you're getting a hundred bucks you're getting a hundred bucks mm -hmm. right then as soon as you're done your job bam so uh unfortunately didn't work out but i went out and did my own thing and then i booked x fest completely on my own uh, using mostly uh, PWA Calgary talent. And it was probably one of the most amazing cards that 
I've ever been able to see at that time because it was a mix of guys from MPW and Edmonton and PWA guys who never got the chance to work each other. Yeah, so that just was, didn't happen. It was kind of like our first Alberta super show at the time. The Forbidden Door. <laughs> it was. It was It was the Forbidden Gate uh, at Fort Calgary, if you will. Okay, and, uh, I like it. That, that was a great time for us because uh, even though we were scheduled, paid, and everything to be on the bill, uh, the site festival grounds manager forgot to plan out where the ring was going to be on site. Oh, of course. There's always something, right? Always <laughs> and something. the day before the festival starts was when we were bringing in the ring. So when I show up with uh, the ring. Whose ring like, was it? We used uh, one of the RCW rings. Oh, okay. So Vic came down and brought the ring down and uh, set it up with me, BVD, and Scotty Crew. Okay. And uh, the best part was they had no place to put us. We couldn't drive the truck and the trailer all the way into the site anymore. So they let us build the stage, uh, the ring right next to the stage. Okay, and cool. it created this really cool amphitheater like vibe in the park because the stage was on the downside of the hill at Fort Calgary uh, up against 8th Avenue there mm-hmm. and facing north. So the hill goes upwards to the north. So by the time we had our third match on in the day, it was packed and we had a captive audience. No one wanted to leave from their spot because they wanted a good spot for Weezer. And we were right there. So it was like, oh, okay, cool. Changeover's happening. That's boring. I'm going to watch this wrestling. And most of the people there that were watching us, cheering us on, getting into it, probably were not wrestling fans, probably hadn't seen a Monday Night Raw in at least, you know, 15 years. Yeah. At least since Brett had left. So that goes to show you how infectious live wrestling is. Uh, for people that aren't necessarily a fan. If you have a good match going on with two guys that are working well, people are going to watch. Yeah, and you see that, uh, I think it's smart for some festivals that only have single stages to, to bring in things like wrestling because with, with you know more than one stage, you can obviously have a band play on one where they're setting up the other, but when you've got one stage in that downtime, that's a mm-hmm. beautiful thing that you can time out to the second to keep the people's attention and uh, it can work really well and it can be really successful for the companies too because like you said, you got a captive audience and when you're at a festival like that, you're already in a good mood and when you're in a good mood, it's easy just to get swept up into you know cheer the good guys, boo the bad guys or, or what have you. Yeah. And I mean, the one thing that definitely got their attention was uh, booking short sleeve Samson mm-hmm. and then putting him up against a regular size wrestler. Mm-hmm. Um, every like I remember the festival organizer was like, you only booked one midget. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, don't worry. I'm telling a story. Yeah. Don't so, tell me how to do run my business. Like I was like, trust me. I was like, if I brought in two, it would have cost you a lot more money. Mm-hmm. And once I said that, he was very happy with my decision. <laughs> uh, he actually walked over to, he made sure to know what time that match was to be at the ring to watch it. And he said that was one of the most entertaining matches he's ever seen all around. He was like, both of them could work, but it was, it, it was funny where it needed to be too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had short sleep work Derek Cross. Oh, okay. So, I haven't talked to Derek in a long time. Oh, no, yeah. he's doing He's, he's doing all right. He's uh, doing dad life now. I see him on a few RCW show okay. posters here and there. So 
he's still kicking around. He's just not a not around as much as I wish he was. So, so that X Fest show. What were some of the bands on that show? I'm just curious. You mentioned uh, Weezer, who was a band that had... I don't believe I've ever seen live, considering they've been around these parts a number of times over the years. But I don't think I've ever seen Weezer live. Who else was on the bill? On the first year, uh, I have to dig this up here because that would have been in 2014, I believe. We had, I think, Alexis on Fire. Okay. Oh, no, that was the year. That was the last year of uh, X-Fest. We also had Blink-182 okay. as the headliner. City and Color was the second day headliner and uh, Weezer and AWOL Nation. Okay. And Jane's Addiction was also on one of the shows as well. So Excellent. Uh, massive, massive. Um, Stone Temple Pilots we had at Virgin Fest the year before. So yeah, Jane's Addiction and Weezer were our headliners uh, uh, at the Fort Calgary one. That was in 2011. Yeah, that's a good line. Can't go wrong with that. Mm-hmm. All right. House so how's it? Pain too, man. Like, oh, really? Like, yeah it it was it was a, it was a banger show, and yeah, uh, sounds like a fun yeah, day. We we watched everything on the main stage right from the ring, and we had a blast. All the bands had a blast watching from the other side of the privacy screen on the fence too. And yeah, man, uh, I really want to get another big festival wrestling booking yeah. for LPW in the next. Uh, year for sure and yeah. i know it's going to happen i've been talking to promoters and organizers and if we get the one that i have been making moves on right now it's going to be one of the biggest festivals that you've ever seen an independent promotion in canada be a part of stay tuned is that what you're saying 100 percent. and if you are a punk oh. if you are a punk rock fan the headliner for that festival on the second day is quote unquote legendary well i just happen to be a punk rock fan now speaking of, of music as you know uh this is a wrestling slash music podcast i like to have my guests uh pick some songs to play that mean something to them or songs that they just like or what have you and you gave me a couple of, of interesting good choices here the first one we're going to play is actually a cover uh it's on the i believe the black sabbath tribute album am i correct it originally came out on the black sabbath tribute album nativity in black volume one which was a collage of a whole bunch of bands that were huge at that time doing Sabbath covers. So there was a cover from Sepultura, uh, White Zombie, which we're going to be listening to here, uh, House of Pain, Cypress Hill was even on that record too. So Biohazard, you name them, mid-90s, they probably had a track on that record. So the track we're going to go to is Children of the Grave by uh, White Zombie. Why'd you pick this one? Well, Children of the Grave is one of my absolute favorite Black Sabbath songs, but also White Zombie slash Rob Zombie songs are just the way he produces that drum beat and the sound. It, it's hand in hand with wrestling. And I associate White Zombie slash Rob Zombie music with so many wrestlers entrance scenes. And this is just pure entrance music if you've ever had a song to pick. This Actually, before they uh, had their own custom song made, uh, ECW used uh, Thunder Kiss 65 as the intro song for their TV show for years. Yeah, ago, before so. Universal Music Group stepped in on them, yeah. eh? Uh, yeah. Like they do on YouTube. <laughs> Alright, so we're going to throw to that now. This is Children of the Grave. This is White Zombie on the Punk and Todd Rappers podcast. 
one of the most heinous crimes in history.
That was White Zombie on the Punk and Powder Podcast. I'm joined by Gavin J. Fitzpatrick, the uh, the technical wizard uh, behind uh, Love Pro Wrestling and a bunch of other things. And I want to step outside of the wrestling business because you and I talked a little bit about uh, you going down to Vegas and, and, and doing some, some filming in clubs and stuff. What are some of the other, like, tell me some of the other super cool things that you've done. Because I have a feeling you've been around and done some really cool shit. Well, I've been in the live entertainment industry for, wow, almost 20 years now. Uh, literally have had a whole career of it. Um, the last couple of years kind of sucked, but I mean, mm-hmm. I've come back with a bang. So has everybody else. Did you uh, um, take a I've hit in the wallet everything. over the, sorry to cut you off. Did you take a hit in the uh, wallet over this past couple of A little of years? bit. I, I had, I had, I uh, like, you know, my main job is working production stuff and being a contractor with Live Nation or any of these other uh, concert promoters and producers who come through Western Canada. Um, so yeah, my wallet definitely took like, you know, that major hit because I didn't have, you know, 20 concert days in a month to deal mm-hmm. with and get paid for. Uh, I got a couple side hustles that, you know, kept me fed and kept the lights on, which is good. Uh, you know, it wasn't as much as I would have liked, but it was there and I was happy to have it. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that we're back, like we're at a breakneck speed right now. I'm currently on tour with the tea party after I just finished emceeing a massive EDM festival in Calgary, where I got to bring out some of the biggest DJs in the world onto the stage and introduce them to 18,000 people like Fisher, Excision, Armin Van Buren, uh, Loud Luxury, and of course, The Big Diesel, Shaq Fu, Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah, you were telling me about this at the show. You're saying that Shaq's actually not a bad DJ. He's actually a really good DJ. And like, <laughs> I wouldn't doesn't... think that he could do it with them giant hands. Well, oh, let me tell you about setting up a stage for Shaq so <laughs> we kind of have a standard set height of the DJ desk being 40 inches off the ground it's a nice level playing field for most people it's either right close to waist level or just above waist level it's nice and comfortable to hit all your controls and whatever you need to do and it's easier for them to climb up on the riser and get the crowd pumped up mm-hmm. we had to put a 22 inch riser on top of the 40 inch riser (laughs) just so that it could be close to Shaq's waist level. So we're talking about a 56 to 58 inch rise. And that's, you know, good four, four and a half feet, five, almost five feet. That's wild. So it's pretty funny. Like how big this guy is. Like he was awesome. Awesome with everybody. Uh, He wasn't there long he literally came right to the venue went to his dressing room ate his entire rider in 20 (laughs) minutes no joke i believe it like i think he no joke he ate a deli tray in like a matter of a minute they they said they it was like i was like well yeah of course if you think about it it's like picking up like half a pound of ham is probably like picking up one skittle for us yeah you gotta feed the machine right so yeah. And he, you know, he's seven foot three, 325 pounds, you know, and if any wrestler ever tells me that they're seven foot three, I'm going to call them on that because I have seen a shoot seven foot three. 
So now I know how big like a real seven foot three is. <laughs> um, but yeah, Shaq, he came in, he played his set. He said hello to everybody uh, that, you know, was involved with the festival on the stage. And uh, I was able to uh, hit up the Calgary Hitman and get a custom pink Brett the Hitman Heart Appreciation Night pink jersey. Yeah, you were telling me about Shaq. this too. I don't even have one of those. With the diesel on the name bar and number 34 and he was very very happy to get it he was posing for his pictures as soon as he got it he was like oh wow this is amazing he's like let's get a picture of this right now and i was filming and my you know my boss was the one who was right there so he got to take the photos with Shaq. but hey it's his festival so yeah. i have no problem with that at all but uh yeah it was a great time like just seeing everybody dancing and having a good time. The weather got really bad for us a bit mm. on Saturday night after Shaq set. That didn't stop anybody. Outdoor show? At all. No one left. Outdoor show okay. at Max Bell Center parking lot. Oh, like, okay. I, I know. And that. they kept, yeah, and they kept it going the whole time through. And like, I, the next day, I'm on stage and five o'clock, the crowd was twice the size it was on Sunday at five that it was on Saturday. So wow. they didn't care. They were ready to give her. And I mean, the weather was in absolute agreement with us on Sunday. So there wasn't a cloud in the sky on Sundays, which was absolutely beautiful. Awesome. All right. This is what we're going to do. We're going to play your second song and then we're going to get to the main event because I know when I talked to you about it this the other day, I know you got stories. So we're going to get your second song oh, out yeah. of the way. And then I want you to tell me some stories because I know you got some stories. Your second song was, hang on a second here. I guess I got it right in front of me. Your second song. Oh, yeah, it was Motorhead. We are the road crew. Yeah. Tell me why you picked the Motorhead. Little, little Motorhead. This is, well, Motorhead is like the be all and end all to me. They are the apex of rock and roll, punk rock and heavy metal. They bridge the gap, baby. Um, Lenny I would agree with is, that. If uh, Ozzy Osbourne is the godfather of heavy metal, Lemmy is the birth father of everything else. And, mm -hmm. you know, Lemmy, I was fortunate enough to spend time with Lemmy every time he came through Edmonton, uh, which is why I have a Lemmy portrait portrait tattoo on my leg everyone asks me oh is that your grandpa no it, i wish it was uh but uh no i've always had a uh, spot in my heart for motorhead and we are the road crew is basically my life anthem with everybody i work with as well so that's uh why i picked it awesome i love when people pick songs that have like a meaning to them that's super cool all right so this is motorhead omni punk and part of this podcast
That was the god himself, Lemmy and Motorhead, on the Punk and Potter podcast. Now, always interested to hear about the technical side of wrestling. I'm about, you know, obviously I'm a big fan of the behind the scenes things. I did it for a long time, and I think that's cool. But you uh, became a, a, a to get podcast guest when you told me a brief story about Rivers Cuomo and Teddy Hart. So okay. now for the remainder of the time that we have on this podcast, which is probably going to be about 10 or 11 minutes, uh, I, I'm sure you got some cool stories that you may or may not be able to tell. Start off with, with, with Teddy at Rivers Cuomo. <laughs> well, we were at X-Fest and Ted had just moved back to Alberta uh, and was spending a lot of time in Edmonton. And I needed to get somebody to fill a slot on the card that had a bit of a draw and I was like well Ted will draw in Calgary so I booked Ted on the card and I have him work with uh, T-Bone Jack Sloan mm-hmm. and uh, Ravenous Randy Myers I love T-Bone he's another guy yeah. I haven't talked to in years yeah T-Bone moved out like, east now so, great guy uh, great guy he was an awesome guy to work with I really wish I got more time to work with him I only ever had two opportunities to book him but uh and he I, looks like killer cross you do take a picture of t-bone and take a picture of killer cross and put them side by side it's it's uncanny anyway continue. killer cross without tattoos yeah exactly. uh, he's a blank canvas killer cross yeah so uh i booked ted and uh it was great ted you know had a killer match with everybody and uh we were finishing up our dressing room slash tent was directly behind main stage okay so ted had mr money and uh (laughs) of course because you know he brought him out to the ring uh with him on his walkout so ted uh also had a fresh litter of kittens as well uh (laughs) that he was planning on selling to people in calgary while he was there unfortunately for rivers cuomo who was approaching the stage to get ready to perform Ted. Those who don't know, just out of out of uh, clarity, Rivers Cuomo is the frontman of Weezer. Yes. So Ted approaches him and says, "Hey, you look like you're a real nice guy. You know, you, you got glasses on and stuff. You know, like, I bet you you're a pretty gentle, dude. You want to buy a cat? That's a pretty good Ted impression, actually, too. And uh, <laughs> Riv- Rivers like is looking at him like uh what and you know ted's in full blown like full gimmick he hasn't changed out of his gimmick yet so he's still got on his shorts and his knee pads and you know it it was his hologram stuff too so this guy's just like like, what like buy a cat what he's yeah you know these are these are persian cats they're they're specially bred i mean they're uh they're easily trained too it could live on your bus no problem and uh rivers just was so uncomfortable by it. i i had to like grab ted and be like ted i don't think he wants to buy a fucking cat right now <laughs> and uh pulled ted away to the side and uh let weezer go and do his job so uh that was ted's first encounter with rivers uh <laughs> later on that night after their performance he uh expressed how much he liked the song hashpipe because Ted is a very, uh, you know, cannabis connoisseur, right? Mm-hmm. At, at the time, especially, and uh, wanted to uh, show how to properly make hash to Weezer, not just Rivers, but the whole band. Oh, and he's like, okay. oh, I'll, I could show you guys how to make hash. It's really easy. 
And uh, that was definitely the time that I had to tell Ted, well, maybe we should all go to the after party, mm -hmm. uh, which I sent him to promptly and none of us uh, got to at all. So it worked out good. We uh, avoided further embarrassment of the city of Calgary, uh, with, you know, <laughs> kittens and hash. So, but uh, I got plenty of stories, man, of 20 years of being in the show business and like the crossover of wrestling has been awesome sometimes because uh, we're both in weird little circles. Mm -hmm, definitely. The roadie circle and the wrestling circle are very similar people. Uh, cut from the same cloth, I would even say like, if they all knew how to bump, most of them could be wrestlers. <laughs> how, many, uh, how many NDAs have you signed in your career? Uh, I've signed well over 35 severe NDAs that were like more oh. than one page. Really? More than one page, a uh, minimum of five pages. Can you say who you signed them for or is that even off the table? I can tell you, I can tell you one that I signed that was like a super serious one. And there was a very good reason why I had to sign them. Okay. And that was for David Copperfield because oh, I was backstage. Okay. I get it. I can't talk about what happened backstage with his shows, but because I was privy to many things. Like, is it like how, how the, how the things are done kind of thing or. Yeah. Like, like, you know, what was used, how it was done. Like what's the, what's the science behind the smoke and mirrors. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, which learning a lot of this stuff has like made things easier for me with bringing a higher level of production to our wrestling shows. Uh, once we get a couple more things ironed out here with LPW, I mean, you're about to see the evolution of one of the best promotions here, uh, not just in the ring, but production wise, uh, on camera and in person, mm -hmm. uh, you know, building the ladder match rig, that was all ingenuity that I had in, in my head from working shows and building rigging and having to like have stage points where we can uh, bring something down on a queue. And yeah. Uh, so, you know, transferring that uh, into LPW has been uh, definitely a key asset for us. Uh, and I know not many other companies are going to be able to say that they have someone who's had 20 years of live production experience. And I'm very happy that I brought that to the table with uh, Spencer and, the rest of my partners at LPW. Yeah, it's something that I that I've preached for years and years and years. I mean, there's so many people behind the scenes that you don't know names of that you don't see that that do so much to help make a show look and sound good. Absolutely. Good. Like if you go to any concert, you're gonna see uh, two sets of crews. So there's gonna be the main touring crew, and then there's gonna be the local crew. The main touring crew can be anyone from anywhere from five to thirty five people. And then the local crew can be anything from 10 to 600 people. Now you do a show like Garth Brooks at Commonwealth stadium. You're going to have 300 local crew on that. And Garth is traveling with a crew of at least 60 people. Anybody from wardrobe to guitar tech, to drum tech, to a tour accountant. Uh, that's all the bases that we have to cover behind the scenes. And they'll and bring chefs and stuff too sometimes, right? Sometimes they bring their own catering with their own chefs, which is the case was when I was on tour with Motley Crue, they had brought in their own catering company to cook and prep everything every day for them, rather than taking a gamble on venue catering every day. Mm -hmm. um, I will admit Edmonton has some of the 
best venue catering in North America really? at the Edmonton Con- Convention Center. Okay. And it's really nice because Convention Center in Edmonton and the Expo Center are now both owned by the city. So they share the same menus now. Convention Center. Is that the Shaw? Made- it formerly well, it used to be the called Shaw. the Shaw. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I just want to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the right yes. place. Many, many shows I've been there over the years. Yeah, yeah. So what's the biggest production oh, yeah, that you've been involved some, with? Uh, live production or movie production and or both. Let's see. Oh, well, that's that cool. we, got, we got seven minutes. Let's do both. I didn't know there was movies okay, as well. I can. <laughs> well, one of them was both. Uh, that was Metallica through the never. Yeah, because they shot some uh, of that here, which, didn't they? I'll let you in on something. 84. 85% of the screen uh, crowd shots that you see from the concert footage mm-hmm. was actually the Edmonton show. Okay. So I was lucky enough to uh, drive James Hetfield around and basically be his assistant for the whole production, which was amazing. Good guy. And uh, James, yeah, the lead singer of Metallica. Yeah, yeah. Is he a good so, guy? Great guy. Okay. Hilarious too. Like he's got a great sense of humor. Um, Lars Ulrich gets a hard case from everybody, but you know what? Lars did something backstage, which I can talk about here. And I think the world needs to hear this. Okay. The way that they did that show, instead of bringing a opener from a label or something or paying to play, which is what most openers have to do on big tours. You pay the, you know, an Ozzy Osbourne level artist to take you out on the road. Mm-hmm. It's usually the record label that pays it. Mm-hmm. And it's to promote your record sales. Um, Metallica did it different. They did a contest in Edmonton and Vancouver for a local band from both cities to play in each show. And the Edmonton band was Striker an amazing thrash metal band from Edmonton. If you haven't had the chance to see one of their shows, they're fucking phenomenal. Okay. And these kids got on the show. They're living like they're, this is like make a wish and cloud nine altogether. <laughs> and um, they get open for Metallica. They get 30 minutes to play too. So it's, you know, not a, like a bit of a joke either. 30 oh, minutes. 30 minutes then, ain't bad. And then Metallica comes out for two and a half hours. So to warm up an Edmonton crowd at the old barn, that's a tough gig. Yeah. So these kids are getting ready to get on stage. They just ate their dinner and they don't have a dressing room. All of our backstage areas were completely covered by this whole movie production. Like a tour production usually takes up a lot of the backstage area, especially at an artist like Metallica, one mm-hmm. of the biggest bands in the world. Um, Lars saw these kids changing out in the loading dock. Like that was their hangout space was in the loading dock. And he went to his tour manager and yelled at the tour manager. Why don't these kids have a place to dress? We're the biggest fucking band in the world. And we're making them dress in the goddamn loading dock. Get these kids a dressing room now. That's cool. And I I had so much respect for Lars doing that. Like, he wasn't asking for much, but he just said, like, well, give them some privacy. Yeah, give them sure. a, pa- a, a place to sit. Like, this is horrible. Like, we we look bad do- making them do this. And it was through no fault of, like, the bands. It's just 
they had so much production. Um, the stage that we had run on that concert show was one of the first of its kind. Uh, so because it, it was, was sort of like an in the round in the middle kind of thing, right? It, the show was in the round and there was, you know, the projections and the lasers and the pyro, but also the stage floor itself was a huge video monitor. Okay. So all of the operators for the stage floor were set up backstage in what is technically the broadcast room for all of the hockey game broadcasts. Oh, okay. And, uh, that, so even that room was taken up and, uh, the striker kids ended up getting one of the NHL referee dressing rooms, Okay, which we had to get approval from Gary Bettman to let these kids use it. Cause it was the only room that wasn't being used. And oh, yes, every NHL arena in North America, every dressing rooms use needs to be approved by Gary Bettman. Interesting. It's a lot of bureaucratic paperwork and red tape, but at the end of the day, I get it. It's basically an NHL building almost in every city. All right, Gavin, we got two minutes because I'm cheap and can't afford to pay for zoom. Anything else that you want to want to want to throw out there about uh, what's going on before we, uh, before we uh, cut this one, uh, uh, cut this one to the end. Yeah, we got LPW coming up on August 26th. This is going to be show of the year, man. You know what, Boris? We say that every month and we are not wrong every month because every show is the show of the year. Well, but I've seen the, I've show. seen the lineup for this baby. Whew, it's good. Oh, it's in that poster. My God. Yeah. yeah, I like it. And out come the Wolves tribute and out come the wrestlers. LPW 7, August 26th. Tune in on Twitch. If you're not in Edmonton, you can't attend live. We are always streaming, baby. Hell yeah. All right. Well, thanks, dude. That's uh, super cool to, to learn more about you and, and hear stories and stuff. I think you're a good dude. I, I like you. Well, I love you too, <laughs> Boris. That's why we keep you around, man. <laughs> All right. Uh, we are going to go out to a band that I discovered a few years ago that I love because they're just little bratty punks and I love it. Uh, and they have brand new music out. The band is called The Chats. You may remember they had a song called Smoko that went, uh, that got pretty popular a number of years ago. Amazing music video. Uh, they have a, a new record coming out and they have a new single called I've Been Drunk in Every Pub in Brisbane. Uh, it's amazing. And again, just jangly, loose guitar and just very, very kind of bratty punk. I love it. So I hope you guys dig that. Again, Aussie thank band? you. Uh, yes, sir. Australian. You're absolutely correct. Awesome. And uh, I don't know what's going on for next week, but as soon as I find out, I'll pass it on to you guys. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys all next week. I've been